You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Ben, why should anybody listen to Blockbuster Mentality? I mean, seriously, why should any of these people that we've interrupted while they're listening to their favorite podcast check us out or even turn off this show and go straight to our show? That's a great question, Dave. People should listen to us because we point out the most important details of movies and television. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the really important stuff like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru in Star Wars. What exactly are their living quarters underground? But it's not just that, Ben. We produce high quality audio that is exactly right Dave because we will have my daughter interrupt us on every single episode <laughs> and we have an amazing stars in popcorn rating system we measure on quality and entertainment value listen to blockbuster mentality every Monday on all major podcast platforms and connect with us on Twitter at blockbustercast so grab some popcorn grab some snacks we'll catch you guys at the movies FanQuest Comics and Games in Yuma, Arizona, and today I have a plethora of game masters in front of me. That's right, we're going to be talking about RPG games, tabletop RPG games. Yep. So if you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself first off. Hey, I'm uh, Mike Casal. Um, been gaming for a while. What kind of games do you usually uh, play? Mostly a little bit of everything, uh, D&D, uh, Star Wars, some video games, obviously, but uh, a little of everything, board games, try to, try to uh, keep it uh, rounded, you know. Robert? Uh, I'm Robert. I've been a DM for since middle school, and I've been playing everything from Call of Cthulhu to D&D, uh, &D, Shadowrun, Okay. And Jamar? Yes. Uh, my name is Jomar McDonald. I've played uh, tabletop role-playing games for quite a long time. Majority of it, Dungeons and & Dragons, in, uh, in almost all its editions. Uh, played a little Star Wars here and there. Played uh, World of Darkness, Vampire, and Werewolf back in the late 90s. Ooh, Ooh dating yeah. myself. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, uh, going even further back, some Palladium games like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and... Uh, uh, other French games out there. Yeah. Okay. So w what was it that first attracted all of you to tabletop gaming? Uh, I know for me, um, I started playing in college back in uh, back in the day. Uh, this was 17 years ago or so. Um, uh, it was a roommate, actually. Uh, I started living with some, uh, some folks in uh, New York and uh, while I was going to school. And they... Uh, that's all they did. They kind of played D&D &D like five times a week. It was it was kind of crazy there. So we'd like stay up all night playing D&D. &D. And uh, it was just a game that really just caught my attention. And uh, I never was a gamer before that. I was kind of, I guess, a preppy, if you would think. <laughs> yeah. But um, my wife, that's what she would say. But uh, um, Sitting here with the 
big beard and I know, right? Yeah, they, well, yeah. Shining. This is this is now. This is a long time after, but uh, but yeah, it was it was just it was a great experience, um, and uh, I've been playing ever since, and it's just something I've always loved is the storytelling and how it just kind of brought that story alive and the different you know even with the dice rolls, it really just changed how things happened and you were excited to see even failures and you know the way the story went it was that that was just what kind of brought my love for it so that's where i started for me it started out in a uh, book club we'd uh, come up with uh, stories and whatnot and you'd have these weird events and worlds that you'd create but almost nothing for characters and whatnot so uh uh Mom was always uh, yelling at me, uh, telling me I needed to go out and socialize more. So uh, those of us who were in the book club, we decided to uh, start out. One of them picked up a game called, uh, I think it was Traveler or one of those RPGs. And uh, we started uh, with that. And I got stuck at DM because nobody else wanted to be. <laughs> I mean, it's it's both perfect in both words, right? You, you didn't have to go outside, and you still socialized. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jamar? Uh, for myself, uh, I started, uh, well, second grade. Okay. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I was a voracious reader. I uh, loved reading, and at that time, Choose Your Own Adventure books were out and strong, right. and... Uh, Started reading it, read as many as I could, and then uh, saw there was another line called uh, Endless Adventure, and I looked at it. The cover art was awesome, and uh, I remember that book itself called Lair of the Lich. Read that, you know, went through that thing like two dozen times, different different endings, all of that. And, uh, you know, my parents noticed, and they said something to one of their friends, and their friends had a kid that played Dungeons & Dragons, and the next thing I knew, I was all learning about different type of pole arms. I'm like, what the heck's a pole arm? <laughs> and, you know, busted out pictures, fell in love with it. And uh, it took a while, but, you know, I was a military brat, so I went from place to place, and I got to meet other kids who were somewhat interested in these games and then played along. And then until high school, uh, I ran across, you know, figure in a journalism class, a, a couple of kids that played D&D. And, uh, you know, I... Did one of those? You play D and D? They looked at me. Yeah, you play D and D, and we almost did like a little secret handshake. And uh, after that, just really got into it, and uh, I continued playing throughout the years. So my time yeah. in the Marine Corps as a contractor overseas, uh, to back now and uh, doing it with my kids. So I feel bad for him, but. <laughs> the overseas games are always fun. Yes. Like, yeah, my, my time in the army when we used to play like in Iraq, it was pretty crazy. Like, because you have nothing else to do when, exactly. when you're downtime. It's like I need to relax. Yes. And for some reason, killing orcs and stuff makes you relax. I don't know. <laughs> it was always so weird. I don't see anything more soothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what is that experience like? Just, I mean, being so far away from home and, mm-hmm. and overseas and in a different environment I mean your mindset is obviously a lot different than than being at home playing your friendly game with your friends here so what, what, what is that like uh, it's looking for the connection that that's that hobby that everybody shares or, or can relate to and uh, it's one of those things hey you know I've played this game this is what we've done and someone goes oh yeah I've done that but instead of doing this particular thing, I have ran off this crazy adventure. And then you start comparing notes, like, well, it leads up to one thing, 
the next thing you know you have you're playing and then you're going to have those guys that are curious have nothing else to do and they get involved and it's great because it, emo- it opens up their imagination and you know and it's a way for them to let go and have fun without the stress yeah. you can be silly you could be as serious as you want uh, it's just you and a couple of your mates just playing and having fun yeah we we when we used to do it it was like that distraction you know because again you're like you said you're so far from home i mean we were we were gone for you know a year at a time most of those times so it was like um you just it was that it was a nice distraction you know you, you weren't you weren't in the sandbox anymore you weren't dealing with the stupidness that you deal with over there you were you were dealing with what's in front of you and you you laughed and you you had fun and you forgot you know and it distracted you for that time and then when you went home you got to see your family and you had those memories of those people that you know you spent that time with and you you did grow closer i mean i were i mean the guys i used to hang out with they were we we had some moments that were like crazy and like i mean when especially yes. like if you got field promoted and then it's like i mean my chest still hurts from those uh days because that's when the rank was in the middle of your chest and <laughs> it hurt and uh you know, but it was those times where it's like these guys. I know if I go hang out with these guys, I'm going to be distracted, and I won't think about what's happening outside. And uh, that was that was a great experience. I mean, I still talk to at least one of the guys that I used to game with over there. But uh, you know, everyone falls apart. You know, go, you know, goes separates at one point. But uh, yeah, that was that was really the best experience. I think that was a it was a really good experience. It helped. It definitely helped with that. So so in. Obviously, uh, you two came into it, or you you brought it with you from your childhoods playing and stuff like that, or you know your experience beforehand. But what did you did you find other people that were already into it, or did you get people into it? Uh, for me, there was most uh, at that time there was mostly people who already played. Okay. Um, it's actually it's actually funny because uh, um, my you don't usually think of. Army yeah. people or military people being playing. I mean, that's not the way yeah. it's usually depicted, but oh yeah, it, it's all kinds of people that play. And uh, and that that you're right when you think of like military. But it's actually surprising how many military people actually do game and play. I mean, because it's that distraction. Yeah, you know, video games. Um, you can get most people into anything that's a distraction, especially in the military. They, yes, and, you know, your experience in Marine Corps. Distraction. Uh, a lot of it is just a. Uh, Cost, yeah, as well. Uh, <laughs> video games cost you know 50, 60 bucks nowadays. Yeah, uh, all you need is one or two people with books, yeah, and then everybody else could just borrow those books or learn from each other. And you start playing, and the next thing you know, it's four hours later, and it's four hours out of your head, no longer out sweating uh, bullets yeah. and all the other fun all stuff the out there. Yeah, yeah. And like, how did you usually get? Books uh, that it was it just was it, or books and dice and figurines and boards and all that stuff like how did that I know come I across brought mine overseas with me. <laughs> I yes. like like I because I, I was stationed in uh, Hawaii and uh, we um, when we shipped overseas I had stuff from when I was in college so I just I had my tackle box full of all that stuff and I just brought it with me because uh, since I paint on I usually on the side too so I brought that stuff to paint while I was out there which probably ruined a lot of my paints because of the heat but um, but it was that thing to help me you know get through things and um, so I brought 90% of that stuff with me and then there was a couple other guys who just 
yeah, I mean, luckily Amazon is the greatest thing in the world, and they will ship to anywhere, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere even well, on yeah, the APO yeah, address. APO addresses. And and we all used Amazon like no one's business, and uh, it was just great because it's like you could get that stuff out there. You know, bringing it home on the other hand was yeah. sometimes the hardest because you had to pay to get that stuff home. But oh. um, yeah, because it's, you know, but uh, but yeah, most of us had like we had our tough, you know, most of our. Bo- tough boxes were full of like gaming stuff, which is kind of funny. But uh, I mean, you do what you do to you know get by, and uh, when you could, you know, do that stuff. But yeah, yeah, I brought my own copy, bought my own dice. Um, uh, as mentioned, Amazon. Yeah. Uh, also, the USO programs out there, uh, they do really, really good. Uh, they'll grab additional uh, materials if you ask them or if they're available, and. Uh, Thank you for all the supporters that do that did send stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, you know we do get a lot of support, and uh, again, stuff little stuff like that helped groups of people pass the time. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And Robert, I mean, obviously you don't have the same experience as them, but like, what was it when you were trying to find new people to play with? Like, how did you come across that? Was it always just, uh, it you know, engineering club? Engineering clubs. You walk into settings. You watch. You walk into an engineering lab, and you mention D and D, and every single person will poke their head up. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, it was always simple enough for you, just to find a new group or find new people to come into your group. The problem was that I, at first, I'd get like a whole bunch of inconsistent people, and then after a while, maybe about after I started doing it regularly, after about four months. Every single person I had invited showed up for a few weeks, and so I had like 15 to 16 people, and so it would just be overwhelming, because uh, yeah. even because pe- uh, uh, just mentioning D and D and my friends would uh, or uh, a lot of the players would uh, invite people because turnout would be really bad, and. Some people had never even heard of the game, uh, but people bring it up and they speak about something with enough passion, people get interested. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, that's that's the common like meme that goes around that you getting people to show up every week or every yeah. other week yeah. or whatever you, whenever you, you have yes. the plan to, to show up like is that is that set in reality for you guys is it always difficult to get a gr- large group of people to come together and 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 make it a common thing or yeah you know for me it for me honestly it took me about three years with this current group to finally get a consistent show out uh where I have the same people showing up each week. Sure, we get a couple people that drop in and out every now and then, but it's always the same core. Mm. And it took three years of tri- of trial and error before I finally managed to get that. Trial and error and whittling away, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I mean, what's the largest groups that you've played with? Um, I know the, the games I run here at FanQuest... Um, I had to break the group up because at one point we had 12 at the table, but we, uh, Rob plays in the game, one of my games too. So, uh, I think we knows, had, we had 10 last night. We had 10 last night. Um, I think overall we have 22 players total, um, of people who've come and haven't come back or like, but the games are still relative between eight and 10 people. Yes. Um, I think the largest group I've ever had in my 
whole time DMing um, is twelve, and that was back in back in college. Well, we did have fourteen we for did, your yes. game a uh, couple weeks. You're back. right. You're right. You're right. We, there, that game was oh god, that was so, so just to give large. you a uh, frame of <laughs> reference, a regular ideal uh, group size yeah. is three to seven players. Yeah. So once you start expanding upon that. We're talking about tension spans and people on the phone. Yes. And just little tasks are adding up. You know, where yeah. it takes somebody to make a decision in 30 seconds now, yes. even longer. So yeah. when we're talking about 10, 12, oh. my highest is 15. Uh, pulled my hair out that night. <laughs> yes. uh, so did some of the other kids. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to keep them engaged. Mm-hmm. That, that's the biggest problem. It's yeah. like, I mean, because this whole game is, you know, the interactive storytelling. And if you're interacting with two or three people over here because they're running, you're running a scene of, you know, here and the other characters are not really part of that scene, but they're in the room, you know, they're not going to interact with you. They're not going to say anything because, well, you're talking to a debutante and they're a barbarian who's really not going to say anything. And if he does, it ruins everything. So everyone <laughs> says, hey, you just sit here, be quiet. Right. But, you know, it's hard to keep that many people engaged at one time. And I, I think we, tr- you know, most of us have tried to find balances of that. It's like, you know, hey, I'll talk to you for a minute and then I jump to you. Hey, what are you doing right now? Like, what, you know, are you just staring blankly at the wall? Or are you actually doing something? Are you trying to steal their, you know, locket or, you know, try to keep them all engaged? And it is really difficult when you have that many players. But, um, I mean, I think, I think when you're, when you do it long enough, you start finding those little, ways of working with it but he's right it you know a 20 minute conversation in D&D with 12 people is going to take an hour and a half now because everyone you you got to make sure everyone has a chance to say something but then you also want to make sure that they're that you're still moving and progressing the story and i think that's that's the hard part of having such a big group um and like you said ideal you want to have at least 3 to 6 3 to 7 however you know cuz that's that you know that's that kind of happy medium, right? Where everyone gets a chance to feel like they're contributing and they're not so far out. Where oh, I gotta sit, I'm gonna sit here on my phone while the 30 minute conversation uh, with you know the bard and the duchess you know happens. So you know it's it's just trying to find that happy medium. And it's there's nothing wrong with large games. People run large games all the time, but it's just understanding that and that's that's the juggling act of a dm i think now one of the many hats we wear uh back to the original question about getting people to come that's usually what happens is that you know you'll get you'll start out with your three to seven solid people and then depending upon the age bracket life happens kids get in the way kids schedules get in the way oh work is making me do an extra shift uh you know some of my players firefighters and their schedules are always rotating and then comes to a point where you hit that that low end and and you're like okay well we'll go ahead and invite other people and then they'll start showing and then sometimes you'll have you know three people but then when everybody's schedule opens up in that one day and then you end up with a table of 12 yeah and uh it's 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 really Intimidating. Yeah, uh, it's a balancing act. Uh, it really yeah. is. Uh, you know, uh, time management is a big thing with yes. this, especially with that many players. Uh, when you hit that three to seven ideal range, that's always fun. You know, that's easy to manage. But again, when you have those twelve players or more, and you're trying to keep everybody engaged, uh, it, it's disheartening for us to see someone on the phone 
And when we're trying to, you know, get with these three or four players, and then Usual. you expect them to wait their turn, and you know how it is. People's yeah. attention spans are just like, squirrel! Yeah. And, yeah, you're playing Usually catch. at that point when I have that many people, I've always found the easiest as a little tip uh, to uh, talk to a couple players and see if they, the ones that always seem to uh, uh, be more engaged with the story to try and help you engage everyone else because a DM you can only do so much you do need help every now and then and so I've always asked players whenever I have a problem to take on some of the jobs especially when I get large group sizes Uh, much easier for large groups if there's multiple people working uh, to sort out the problem yeah Yeah, I just think it's like um, like like you're saying, going back to the original question, with the, uh, you know, as an adult, you know, <laughs> we we you know when you're when you're not a kid anymore, you don't have all that free time as a child, and uh, you know you're an adult, you got to work, and you know me and my wife, like I got my wife into playing D and D years ago, and um, she, the her first experience was not that great. We were in, still in the army at the time, and it was just a bad experience. But then I started running a game for her. And she fell in love with it. She loves the game. Um, but us as adults with kids trying to find people who want to come and hang out with our at our house with kids in the house. Usually we try we're like we've been trying over the years trying to find couples who still play, who have the same experience of, oh, I can never play because well, I can't find a babysitter. And we're just like, come over, bring your kids. I have a twelve year old. He'll watch the kid. <laughs> I mean, last time we we actually did that once, which, Again, that kind of group fell apart because we couldn't show up all the time. Um, they came over. We played D&D one night. My son and their daughters played D&D in another room because he plays d and He's been playing D&D with us since he was six. And um, he ran a game for them. He didn't know any of the rules. He didn't have any of the books with him. He just started running a story with them. And they loved it and had a great time. So he was up there with those his, their uh, their daughters. Our other son was with their other son because they were a lot younger. So they were just kind of running around being crazy. And but it was that that was that was what we attempted to do to try to get that you know. But it is so hard, especially when you have kids, to do that because it's you know me in my thirties playing and having twenty year olds who don't have kids who are not married, single, and can kind of do whatever they want. Um, coming over it's hard for them to sometimes understand when you have kids so it's you know as us older you know gamers you know it's like oh you know hey i got i can't come this week because uh you know my daughter's sick or you know things like that it really hinders your when you can play and how often you can get together so you try to make those you know concessions and and i think a lot of us like I have the luxury right now being here out here in Yuma by myself where I can kind of game whenever I want. Um, but my wife can obviously, so she's home with all the kids and she, she can't do any of the gaming and we've talked about maybe Skype gaming or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing for like, I know as adulting. Yeah. yeah as adulting, adulting uh, is always the hardest part. It I think. is. And we're just talking about one person. Oh yeah. Now you start mixing in three to seven different people or more or less. Uh, all those different schedules conflict, yeah. you know, and you end up with the 15, 16 yeah. people hey, when all day. of them align. Or you yeah. had that one night when everybody calls off last minute. Hey, you know, yeah. little Timmy is sick. 
uh, oh, I forgot about Susie's recital. Yeah. And then you're there, and you're like, oh, thanks, guys. Yeah. It's just heck. Of, uh, because you could probably get about half the group. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> and uh, other times, you just got to make do with what you got, and other times, just reschedule. Yep. Yeah. So you said the ideal is three to six. Uh, and you've talked about 15. <laughs> what about when it's two? When it's or two. one? I know for me... Have you played those games? Are, we, are those common things? Like um, Because, like I was saying, I mean, you probably had the same experience. Um, because me and my wife don't always get to play, we've started a home game where it's just me, her, and our son. And, you know, we had a group previous to doing this where we played for that group for like four years with two uh, airmen that we worked with at the time and um, it was a great game we loved it we kept playing and then we moved and they obviously you know airmen go off to other units we were contractors at the time so you know uh, you know so we were just like I don't know what to do but we really want to continue this game so I just started running for my wife and my son and it still worked. You, you figure out the, you know, the, the challenge ratings or things like that to kind of lower it a little. But they were, I'm, I mean, they were like level 15 at that time. So they, uh, they it's, well, I guess you guys are killing a red dragon by yourselves this time. So, um, but we still made it a point to at least, you know, because we, we personally did the whole board game and D&D type stuff because we wanted it to be family time, right? And because we don't want my son just sitting in front of the, Mm-hmm. you know xbox by himself um and we don't want me to be in one room my wife to be in another. we want to have that time where we sit around the table and we talk and we actually interact with each other and that's the greatest part about this game in itself is just that interaction part mm-hmm. so even you know it's not hard to do that it's just it's also like how you know it's way more engaging because you're actually I only have you, right? And I'm only. And I know with the new rule set that just came out, mm-hmm. um, they're they're even Wizards of the Coast is starting to see that as a as a marketing thing because uh, the last Essentials kit specifically is made for people to run one on one games. If you can even get a hold of I it, I got one the other day. <laughs> I went to Target and bought it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they have a bunch out there. If, I don't know if there's any left. <laughs> but um, but anyway, it's like yeah. So. It, it it is a it is actually a really interesting experience to run small games like that, um, and that's that's kind of my experience with it. But it is definitely more personal. Uh, I have ran one on one games, uh, one and two, and again, it's different when you're looking at a group, and then you're concentrating on one person, constantly making eye contact. Uh, deal with adults, deal with kids. Uh, the new D and D Essentials kit yeah. does uh, implement new mechanics for this, and uh, it basically allows a player to continue with their character, but you use additional resources to fill in what roles other players would be playing, and uh, <clears throat> it, it's it's fun, and uh, I enjoy it. But uh, you also need to realize that the the character has to have some give as well uh, that within a group you have a group of three people they're the heroes uh, that's what the story is when it's just one not everyone can be the Conan that goes on and kicks everybody's yeah. tails it's mechanics uh, as DM you could 
bend them slightly and bend some of the rules and you you bending can... rules you're not allowed to do that <laughs> and uh you can make them feel special and unique and all that fun stuff it's just that again you you have to i'm trying to see where i'm going with this uh <laughs> to see where uh if they are not the the superman out of the universe because uh, I've never ran an entire campaign where we're talking about months and months of playing with just one or two people. Yeah. It's usually when the group comes back and then that vacuum gets filled and that person doesn't feel so special anymore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it's another balancing act that we got to do. Uh, but they, they tend to enjoy it. Uh, just like in groups, that person doesn't want to feel like they stand out. And with these one-on-ones and one-on-twos, definitely can. It's... I. I I'm that mean guy that can't make them feel too special for too long. <laughs> can't have, can't, they can't have too big of an ego. you got to <laughs> knock them down a, a peg or two, right? Keep them humble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the most successful campaigns I've run, uh, there were two that I've run where it was literally just one or two uh, actual players. A uh, lot more of the role-playing aspect than the uh, combat and... Uh, exploration aspects Mm -hmm. Uh, and some of them just went splendidly I've seen people do phenomenal things uh, not even having to break the rules (laughs) uh, as uh, characters Uh, one game uh, somebody beat the uh, uh, I had spent maybe uh, I had created a uh, boss that was supposed to just make a one stop in and uh, put the players in their place, not kill them, but put them in their place, and they've and those uh, two players just managed to single-handedly uh, figure out a way to uh, stop the threat before it actually started. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the other meme, right? You sit there and plan for a couple days of the yeah. next interaction. And oh, yeah. Your players well, are like, nah, we're going to go this way instead. Oh, you're yeah. like, well, it's oh, frustrating, but at dumb. the same time, it's worth it. Because yeah. ultimately, it's not about the DM. It's yeah. about the players. Right. That's why I love that one meme where it's, uh, the, it's the DM sitting there, and the, it says, uh, player looks at you and goes, oh, you have this whole world planned out, right? And he goes, looks down at a little note and just says, sexy goblin. <laughs> and that's it. And he's like, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> and it's like, that's, I mean, and it's true. Sometimes, like, I mean, you could plan the months and months mm-hmm. out and just they do things like that but then you have uh, you know those times where it's like I have nothing planned I'm just going to see where this goes mm-hmm. and you just make everything on, up on the fly which sometimes those games are the best and then you forget everything you said and you're like I gotta go down home and write it down because now I gotta remember everything I just did because they're going to probably ask me it next week oh um, players catching you in contradictions oh, yes. that just ruins everything oh, yeah. oh you're God you yeah. don't have to worry about yeah. contradictions oh what do you mean a contradiction that's an alternate universe you <laughs> stepped into the other day oh well that NP PC was now lying, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I know with the two the two player games, like especially with like my situation, like um, my my wife and my son, just playing with them, and even just some other you know smaller games. It, I feel like it also helps you, it, it, like if it's a world you're creating, it helps you get that little bit more of like. Uh, they're forming the world around you, right? I mean, a small group of three and four does the same. Um, Obviously, larger groups, that's a whole lot harder. You never get anything done. But, but like, you know, when you get those, like, my son uh, in in the world that we created in, like, our 
family world that we created, he wants to bring back dragons in our world. And he's coming up with this huge idea and plan on how to do it. And I'm like, okay, now I got to come up with like quests on how he does this. Just, you know, so it, it actually led to more house you know more of our home game having this expanded you know like campaign even though we barely play if it's like when i come home and we go to play it's like oh i know where we left off and we're on this adventure to try to bring back dragons in the world or um and then he just kind of comes up with it and it adds more to it and i think like like they were saying with the uh you know you get that you know personal type thing where I can interact with you and you're bouncing your ideas off me and I'm like oh that's actually a really good idea and I write it down I'm like of course that's what happens you know because you don't know you don't know the difference because it's like <laughs> players it's like, are awesome yeah. yeah it's like players are the players are the best sounding boards you know especially when it comes to that stuff and having that interaction with one or two or even three and four it's like you you're able to you know use their ideas but give you know you're giving them the credit because it's like oh you know you're a barbarian you know you you know your backstory is all about the barbarian tribes of this place it's like well i didn't even have barbarian tribes in my well now i do it looks like my world has barbarian tribes in it and this one was the the king of them or whatever um and it, it's that's the uh, like awesome part about this game where we're you know building these stories and these worlds and they just come they just change you know i know a lot of us here we're playing we're playing through the forgotten realms which is you know the the standard wizard of the coast one not a lot to really add to to it because it's you know been decades yes. since it's been created um but I mean, again, players are still making their marks, right? Like our we we came up with a mercenary guild for the store here, and you know it's basically the mercenary guild going around and making a name for themselves, and you know that's why I mean I have such a huge group. We kind of had to do that, but uh, um, even with Rob's game that he he runs, it's like they're playing in the same world, so technically they can all interact. <laughs> Because we're all, we, we I really hope that doesn't happen. I, yes, no, that, that would be about that thirty would, p- layers in one session. That is, that is a lot. That is a lot to interact with. But uh, mm-hmm. it, those worlds colliding would. Uh, but it's but it's we because we're all playing in the same world, but we're interacting with it and changing things, and that's that's the beauty of having you know players that can actually provide into the world instead of just like sitting on their phones. When players buy into it. And they're vested, and the DMs are vested. It really becomes what it was meant to be with a collaborative storytelling game. And when everybody gets their input, and their actions do matter, and then their actions matter later on in the story, or something from their background comes on in, uh, it's payoff for both the players and the DM. Uh, just because you actually get to see your imagination come to life. Yeah. And, and again, just like that writer that did the one little cool character in a comic book in the background, and years later on he does something and moved to the forefront. Same thing with these players' backstories yeah. or their actions that they did in session one compared to five months later that action that they performed has repercussions. Yeah. And it, it's really cool to see that come to life. What do you mean my actions have consequences? <laughs> so, I mean, we the kind of games we've been talking about are a lot about, like, uh, you know, it's over long periods of time. You, yeah. you, same groups you've been with, you know, obviously there's different games within it or different storylines, but before we started recording, you're talking about uh, 
Yumicon that would, that's oh, going to yeah. be coming. So that I would assume you play like a one day game mm-hmm. or something. Like, mm-hmm. what's it like coming up with that story? Is it just as much uh, team story building, or is it more of you're going to try and stick to your story and get through that? It's more of a traditional board game as opposed to a tabletop game. I think a lot of a lot of that um, for me at least. Um, when you're kind of introducing new people to that one day game, that that one shot, you know, quote unquote game, um, and these different new games that are coming out, because I mean, obviously the new systems that are coming out every day, but it's like when you're introducing them to this, and and yeah, you kind of have to railroad them, you know, quote unquote railroad them, right, and be like, okay, guys, this is the start, here's the end. You may not even make a character. Here's a character sheet. You know, we have pre-mades, you know, and you're now taking that persona. And I, I, I do find that sometimes those one-shots, it's hard for the, it's, it's sometimes hard to like really get invested, but you're also getting super invested because I have to know so much because I need to, I need to lead them by the nose. You know, I need to take them from point A to point B and I need to know everything because they're not going to know because, well, they're not really investing all their time into this anymore. It's like, I don't have six weeks to get them there. I have two hours. <laughs> and there's nothing There's nothing wrong with one-shot games. One-shot games are great. Um, but it's the, you know, it's that you do kind of have to lead them and you do have to kind of just stop it at one point. Like, I, there, was a, there was a great one... Um, it was a comic book that they put out at like a free RPG day once, and it was meant to be a two-hour time limit. <laughs> like it, and I think you know, it's it's like a roll something, it's a roll them or roll them up or something like that. Uh, I don't think I have it in my bag, but anyway, um, the thunder bar. Yeah, the, yeah, the thunder, the bar crawl. Yeah. Um, it's it, I actually ran it for a couple guys at work. Uh, two nights ago because they called me into work just to run the game which was hilarious <laughs> yeah they literally they messaged me like hey we got some time you want to come on I'm like oh I got two hours okay this thing is literally a two hour time limit so it's a great it's a great one shot yeah <laughs> and like if you, if you don't it, like I'm watching the clock looking and timing them but it, things like that are really great because it's like I don't have to lead them. It's just here's the stuff you need to finish this, and then they try to figure it out. But the character creation part is like they're not really building that in-depth backstory of I have, you know, my my character is Conan the Barbarian, who's the king of this you know this barbaric tribe, and you know there's no depth to that. No but personalization. You, yes, but you still got to get them to invest in the story. So. I, it, uh, I think on us for, as doing one shots, it's that getting that that um, you know almost flair. You got to kind of add the bells and whistles mm-hmm. up front to get them to like be excited about it. So it's like, yeah, you're sitting down, like, hey, I gave you this character, and he may not be the one you want to play, but I get I'm going to get you excited about playing him because here's the here's the lowdown, and then just throw them into it. So that that's kind of my thought on it. But. Me, I tend to have a different approach when running one shots. I tend to keep it simple. Just uh, uh, like I'll just have like a basic layout, maybe uh, some general uh, idea. Uh, one of the um, one of the ones I uh, actually found and tend to run regularly as a one shot for when I find new groups is literally you're just stuck there the entire time watching over a train. And no one ever gets bored of it because there's all the stuff that happens while they're uh, watching it, but how you do it and how you engage it, uh, you can kind of make up on the spot. 
you give them a simple. You for one shots give them a simple task, and they can. And you can add on to it, uh, throw a, an encounter where there wasn't one, etc., uh, to uh, kind of fill in the time and uh, give them a, and always do so in such a way that it feels like it should be there, like it was part of the story to begin with. Uh, you don't, for one shots, if you're spending. I've always found if you're spending a week preparing for a one-shot that you'll never run again, you're running a one-shot wrong. Yeah. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been fortunate enough that I've been to different cons. Uh, I did Phoenix Comic Con 2016, 2017, and uh, 2015. Phoenix Fusion now, right? Yep. Yeah, Yeah, it's Fusion. Sorry. Uh, And and did local ones uh, from where I've lived. And for me, the one shot is not so much geared to the experienced players. Yeah. It's always given to the players who've never played before, but want to give it a shot. You know, two hour, three hour investment's not too bad. Or the, the people come from previous editions and want to see what's going on. So for the, the one shots, I always want to make it, sh- make sure that simple. You know, you get to know the rules, uh, the most basic of the rules. Get them, get them, get them hooked, get them invested in, because that, that's all that one shot is. To get them interested, to keep on, you know, playing, find their own group, yeah. uh, get their own books, start their own group. Um, and during these games, I love it because I get to go really cheese heavy, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the overacting, or the is this guy a good guy or is he yeah. a bad guy? And you do give them from point A to point B, but let's see how you guys get yeah. to there. Definitely. And then throughout the game, you're like, okay, you could do this and you're doing this, but remember, you only have so much time before this event happens with or without you. Are you guys gonna be the heroes or are you guys gonna be the heroes that fail? Yeah. And you just jog them and uh, it's what we call in gaming railroading, I mean, it's like, hey, you gotta go and you yeah. gotta prod them to this one destination, but for them, again, it's the entire learning process uh, See what dice do what, <laughs> and some of them will look at you and like, there's different type of dice. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you you let them know which dice do what, what mechanics do what, and yeah. you let them know. Use your imagination, and we'll help you if you can or can't do this, and we let the dice decide, and yeah. we, we we go on with it, and, uh, and that's how I look at one shots. No, uh, no. it, it's would... and again, I'm I'm very selfish in regards to this because it's not. Not aim for the guys yeah. that have been playing for 15 years, 20 years, or that guy that's yeah. been in 5e and played nothing that for the past four years, and he comes out in all grizzled and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa slow your roll, Coyne. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, let little Timmy and see right. if he play the sound. Let, let's yeah. see. Let's let's get more people into the hobby, and, yeah. and that's always my goal: is get more and more people into yeah. the hobby. Uh, I volunteer over at the library. Uh, every uh, Tuesday, I'm running for a group of teens. Uh, I have a small group that's very consistent. Mostly, it's new people every week. So almost every week, yeah. I'm, I'm doing the whole, hey, this dice does this, this does, does that. I have little cheat sheets I made for them. And uh, my big thing is getting them, getting them yeah. in there and getting them playing. Yeah. And as soon as they got that, if they get that hook or if they get that, that fever, you know, it's great to see him show up next week yeah. or two weeks later and continuously do so. 
I've also found one shots pretty good for when you're actually running a really long campaign. Everyone gets burnt out after a while. Yeah. Because uh, so you run a one shot. Sometimes an entirely different role playing system or different game. Sometimes not even a role playing game. Maybe like a tabletop game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you, in that case, what you do is you run a one shot. A simple story, as always, that goes completely. Uh, contrary to the style and feel of the original campaign. Like, say you were running a nitty-gritty dungeon crawl, have something that's entirely roleplay-based, or something a bit silly, or... Murder mystery compared to your action. Yeah. That's why I love, uh, like, uh, the free RPG day stuff. Like, uh, every year they do that free... um, There's one day where they just... The companies send out, like, one-shots, and it's all just, like, basically five or six pages and it's got some pre-gen characters and it's great because it gives you that chance to like that's where I found uh, kids on bikes that's where I, I, I found uh, uh, Star Trek um, and even uh, with the uh, Warhammer 40k uh, RPG that came out they ran, they did a one shot for that and there's so many of them out there and it gives you that chance to like oh like I have a pile of them in my, my house right now and uh Every time I'm like, oh, I really just kind of want to run something different, I go and pull out of the pile. And I'm like, oh, this is Cthulhu, or you know, this is something completely weird, and it's different than what I've been running. So it's like, oh, let's try this out and get some people and try to run it. Um, that's why, yeah, that 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 I think helps a lot with the one shot ideas because, like you like you said, it's kind of a palate cleanser. You know, it's that chance to play Cthulhu when you've been playing D&D or you know oh I bet now there's like things like Overlight and uh, um, other game systems that are out there that are amazing systems and beautiful worlds but it's a, it's just that let's just try it out today you know it's like playing a board game you know we're gonna try out a new board game today so yeah so I mean uh, when I started playing it was second edition Advanced oh. second edition? Yeah, so best edition. I, best, <laughs> there you go. I was going to say. I, I, second edition and is the ultimate master race of all editions. <laughs> I was going to say, I've I, I, you know, put my toe in yeah. since then and, and played a couple of games. But like in my mind, when I think about playing D&D, it's always second edition. Yeah. Now, how do you guys, obviously, as we hear, it's the, the best edition. But how do you feel about all the iterations since then? I mean, I... I've I've played second edition. I played a little first edition back in the day. Uh, me personally, three point five was my edition. I loved three point five, um, but fifth edition. I I really feel like in the D and D side, um, fifth edition. I think brought back storytelling. It really it really took away. It, it takes away from me sitting there looking up rules and looking up numbers and having to figure... I mean, I, I don't need a math degree now to, to figure out how how hard I hit you or how many points I did. But, like, I mean, I love 3.5. I love 3rd edition where you had all the... It was a lot more customizable. Mm-hmm. Right? My character was never really the same as another character, even if we were the same class and race. But... Even though there's less custom, like I wouldn't say less custom, really, but um, less rules suppo- yeah. regards to that. Yeah, exactly. And I think they said something like seventy-two thousand options or something like that in D and D currently. Um, it's bringing you away from the book and sitting at the table and actually telling the story and actually getting into the, you know, 
the actual basis of what a role playing game is, and it's role playing. It's like it, like the, even if you're a brand new player to Fifth Edition, um, they have all those options to help you make your character, like flaws and, and personality traits and things like that, backgrounds that allow you to kind of expand that background storytelling of oh, I'm not really sure what my character. I know he's an elf. I know he's a ranger. But I don't know where he's going to go from there. Well, okay, the things are, hey, he's a soldier, or he's a scout, or he's an outlander, you know, and that, and then you randomly can roll on those. And I think what that does uh, in 5th edition, where it, it really just makes it more alluring to like, oh, I can do this real quickly, and then move on, and then just get into the story. Like, uh, I, my sister-in-law, who plays with us every once in a while, she did that. She randomly rolled everything, like on every chart, every table, and just went with it. And the character—I love the character. Her character, the character is amazing because um, it's weird, but it's also like it has already from level one this fleshed-out backstory. And she really didn't have to do too much work into it, but now she can flesh out even more because she already ha- she has that outline that's there. You know, I, I think when you look back at the older editions. Um, Spending a week making a character. Yeah, like, I mean, I I look back at older sheets, like Pathfinder sheets or uh, older, you know, uh, edition sheets, and it's just like, there was like five pages to them because you had like all your stats and all your skills and all your pluses and how many magic items you had and where they were on your body and you had to have, mm-hmm. you know, how much you can push and pull and 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 lift and and it's nothing bad about that. I just think it you spent more time looking at your sheet and trying to figure it out and you might as well have a calculator with you than being engaged in the story. Because you then you're also like, oh, it's not my turn yet, but my turn is coming up. So now I have to figure out what am I doing? How am I using my feats? Am I going to use this, or, or am I taking feats this level, or am I cross-classing? And you couldn't cross-class till tenth level anyway. But it's like, it's like there's so many things, so many rules, and I feel like it was a benefit for them to take it out. And I haven't seen the uh, too much on Pathfinder two, but. Um, Not a fan of Pathfinder. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Pathfinder was just holding on to that that age of you know elitism in a way, and I know that's what we all joke about, right? Is that that's the elitist uh, game? But um, I know it's the second edition supposedly is kind of rough right now, and I think it's just polishing out. Um, but but yeah, I, I think overall, I think the newest edition is easiest to get new people into it because I don't know we have tons of new people come into the store here and I uh, you know, want to play and it it takes us 10 minutes maybe to make them a character but really like I know for me when I sit down with them I like here's the book but before we even look at the book what's your concept get an archetype you know oh I want to play a ranger okay what kind of ranger do you want to play you want to play an Aragorn type ranger you want to play a Legolas type ranger or do you want to play an Indiana Jones type ranger because I mean depending on your race, your class, your so, and then it's like you lead them, but it's like, okay, this is your world now. You tell me where you want to lead this, and we'll figure it out later because it doesn't matter. It's the story that's important, not the rules. The rules are fluid. So that's, that's my thought on it. <laughs> See, and me, I honestly have, have a little preference except for second edition is still best edition. <laughs> Because, as I see it, uh, for every D and D edition, it's essentially a different game entirely. Different audiences, different uh, 
uh, mechanics, whatnot. Uh, third edition uh, has mostly been replaced by Pathfinder since everything from third edition can be uh, converted over to Pathfinder almost one on one. But second edition, you have uh, all of your players who liked all their customization options, who liked uh, the difficulties. We never had problems with the math, as I said. We stole a whole bunch of people from engineering clubs. Thacko for life. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I was going <laughs> to say Thacko. <laughs> uh, Some of us aren't that good at math, okay? It's like numbers are just numbers. And... Uh, when we eventually switched over to third, we had all of these new options that we didn't have in second edition. It was like, whoa, you can actually customize now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, eventually uh, fourth edition came out, and we don't talk about, we don't talk about fourth edition, edition <laughs> talk is, about no. was <laughs> iffy. It was made for a video game. Yes. Uh, and so it worked really well if you were uh, Rail War Odin, which... Uh, was great for if you had uh, uh, players who uh, you couldn't keep on track and you really wanted to railroad them. That's what fourth edition was for, for a linear story. Uh, and fifth kind of is this kind of something else. It's kind of great for new players. It's great for open worlds. You can railroad a little bit, but ultimately... Uh, it's almost impossible to fail at building a character in 5th edition. Yeah. Uh, regardless, <laughs> I mean, there's ways to uh, optimize, sure, where you are insanely better, but it's Looks almost like impossible to really walk. fail. Yeah. Uh, unless you choose a half I mean, unless you choose a full orc wizard, in which case you deserve to I fail. Mean, it's not and like they're not there. Fist. Yeah, they're <laughs> cast fist. There we go. <laughs> I started off with first edition. I was really new into it. I really didn't get it. And again, that family friend uh, killed my very first character, like the first session. <laughs> so that stuck with me. Every uh, first yes, character ever. 30 years later. Uh, but second edition was one that I really jumped into, sank my teeth in. And they had different campaign settings. And I was very fortunate enough to, to see some of the birth of these campaign settings. And I felt more a more personal connection with them because when every book came out, I was like, oh, I'm going to get that book. Yeah. And that's what helped me with second edition. It's <laughs> right across a whole bunch of different genres. Uh, you you had, you know, the Arabian Nights setting and then you had Spelljammer, which is fantasy and space. And then you had Planescape, which deals yeah. with all the extra planar stuff. And then D&D World where things connect. Uh, third edition came out Especially, what's up? I was gonna say, Dark Sun was always my Dark Sun. Dark Sun. Awesome. <laughs> I think it's probably because growing up here in the desert, I was like, ah, oh, I can relate to this. Yes, one. this heat. <laughs> I know what it's like. Uh, oh no, I can't cast magic because everyone will hunt me down. That's right. The, uh, wow. When third edition came out, the personalization. Oh, let, let me clear this off. The role playing was always there, and yes. it doesn't matter which edition. Uh, right. Yeah. Of course. On the player and the DM, uh, but with third edition you actually got to see some of the specializations or, or the special quirks come out with a mechanical advantage and people get that yeah. customization idea uh, then it went through its growing pains through 3.5 where it cleaned up some of the mess and then they stopped when they went to fourth edition Pathfinder came around picked up 3.5 ran with it and is still running with it uh, fourth edition was very tactics based uh, it changed some of the some of the core ideas and core uh, core races, and a lot of us older players were like we were offended. 
yeah. you know, how dare you do that? And, <laughs> and then you got to step back and realize, <laughs> hey, the game's evolving to different tastes I mean, and different things. Nerds yeah. are, are very, yes, you know, acceptable to change. With, uh, oh, yeah, you know, right? We're famous well, of for course. it. Of course. Captain Marvel. All over the place, though. Yes, it did. Uh, Which made it really hard to follow. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of classes started bleeding over into each other. Uh, in, in the previous editions, you have classes with certain roles. Yeah. Fourth edition, you had a lot of those roles start bleeding into one another, and you know you, you didn't have your typical yeah. classes do what they originally were meant to do. Uh, again, nothing wrong with it. I there, There's people that really enjoyed it. Uh, the group I was with uh, out overseas, we tried it, and about a month later, I uh, had my... Uh, 3.5 book shipped out to me. <laughs> and so I'm playing along with 4th Ed. Uh, different taste. Yeah. Uh, every every edition will have its naysayers and its its supporters. And 5th edition, for me, I enjoy it because it is so easily accessible. Yeah. Uh, the rules are pared down. Uh, creating is easier. But not only that, we have social media to back us up. Yeah. You could, if you're interested, you could always go on YouTube and you could find 10 20 different videos on how to create a character yeah and some of those videos are you know almost verbatim some of them are just brand new wacky different takes on it and uh that's one of the things i love about fifth edition is again it's very inclusive very accessible yeah so uh to start wrapping up i want to hear i want to hear a story a short concise story that you usually tell a, a brand new person uh, about a time that you did something really cool or you saw something happen really cool when you were the DM or when you're a player or something like that. Like one thing that I, when, if I'm, I'm ever playing with a new player, I was like, oh, well, this one time when I was first starting to play, my, my friend and his older brother was the one that was running it. He, he put us in an open plane. I was a half-orc fighter and I, he gave me a magical hammer and he's like, all right, there's a minotaur god running at you and he's gonna be there in three rounds. He's charging at you. Mm. So I sat there, charged up the hammer and when he got within striking distance, it was called shot to the head and killed him. And he was like, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> so what's that one story for you guys? Uh, mine's that first character death. Okay. <laughs> uh, dwarven rogue, or dwarven thief back in the day. And uh, was going and, you know, DM said, hey, there's a statue in front of you holding a giant gem. What do you con What do? You do? I'm like, well, dwarf, I like shiny things. I just finished up reading The Hobbit. We like gold. Cool. Run up to it and grab it. And then the one of the most anticipated or uh, worrisome phrase is when the DM says, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> and me, I'm just like, yeah, why not? Grabbed it. The statue came to life and proceeded to beat me down while you know my character died still holding the gem. So in my eyes, that's... Win, I guess. Yeah, but uh, definitely uh, taught me some new DM phrases. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, do you want more of a horror story or <laughs> whichever you'd like to tell? So, yes, horror story. <laughs> oh, perfect. This will be great. So, first DM campaign. Uh, I'm not wasn't one I was DMing. Uh, first one I actually played as a player. Uh, he get. Uh, the DM was uh, kind of new. He had just started out maybe about uh, a couple weeks earlier, uh, having uh, run a couple one-shots uh, in my uh, stead while I uh, needed to take a break. Uh, and uh, 
he decided to start us out at a decent level, uh, gave us this these magic items, and he introduced us to a quest giver. Uh, I don't remember what the name is, and the quest giver was sending us off to uh, retrieve an uh, artifact to defeat this evil uh, lich. And so it happened was I was just writing down the names, and I realized the uh, quest giver's name was an anagram of the uh, <laughs> uh, evil bad guy's name. So session one, an hour in, I mean, maybe, well, an hour in in game time, so maybe about 20, 30 minutes, uh, I... Uh, uh, he was, uh, I, uh, grabbed the, uh, por uh, portable hole from the, uh, rogue and just stuck in my bag of holding, campaign over, defeated the lich as we were all sucked to the astral seat. <laughs> okay. That's one way to win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the, well, do you remember that, uh, what was it? It's Chrono Trigger, right? You can go oh, right yeah. to the main oh, yeah. battle at the very beginning or halfway <laughs> towards the beginning or whatever. <laughs> that would be Horrible. Yeah, that would just be horrible. Um, gosh, great game. Uh, yeah, trying to think of like a, a really good antidote kind of thing. Um, I, I would say, I would say again, my first character, my play, ever playing. Um, I was in a campaign we were doing uh, on Earth Arcana at the time, and uh, it was uh, I was playing a, a dwarf fighter cleric. Because we didn't have a cleric, and I'm like, oh, fighter seems easy, and then they're like, oh, we need we need healing, so I'm like, I guess I'll take a level in cleric. I love that character. He's he's I still have the sheets, and it's like my favorite character. I brought him into the world I'm creating, but uh, he used to have because back in the day, dwarves could only move 25 feet, but if they wore heavy armor, they were down then another five feet. So they, he had a movement speed of 20. So 20 feet. Everyone else is 30 and 40 feet, and he's like the slowest person. They made basically what heavy armor that only had a five foot penalty. Well, th this is this is just the rule set we had. But he also had a strength of uh, like 23 or 24. He was extremely strong. He could push over a house basically. But uh, we were fighting a red dragon, and like I was sitting there, I was able, I had a tower shield, I had all this stuff, and I'm like trying to push my way to this dragon. The dragon kept flying throughout the t cavern. <laughs> Like, because that's what dragons do, right? And uh, everyone else is hitting them, and I didn't get one hit on them the entire fight. And I'm just like, what? Is so I, like, full out run one way, and he fly the other way. So I full out run the other way. And eventually I got to the point where the dragon was down and still alive. And I was able to, like, full out run up its back and kill it. So I, this is when clerics could, like, I uh, divine smited him. And, uh,. Killed him. I got the last hit. So again, my character believes he kills red dragons. That's his thing because his god was a silver dragon. Um, so he's like, "Oh, this is great," but it took me seven rounds to do it to like get one hit on him, right? So I started like, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna make a new. Uh, I need to make a new feat, and the need, feat needs to be called Dwarven Momentum." <laughs> Whereas if every time I make a full out run, I get to I, a dwarf gets to add plus one to their attack because it's just there's no way to it, back then it was just no way of hitting things because if it ran away from you you're just never catching up to it. <laughs> but it was it was really fun because it was like it was the second red dragon my character killed. And he just always believed he could kill red dragons. So that was the cool part of the story. Was like he just was always like, yeah, of course I killed the red dragon. I don't know what you guys did. He's like, I'm always killing red dragons. I don't know what twice. you guys. Did. Yeah, twice. I have two red dragons. And then he was just taking armor, making armor, red dragon armor. It was pretty fun. But that was like that was a fun moment, like uh, in my early times of uh, DMing. So I think that was. 
So last question is uh, uh, DMing or playing? Which one do you prefer or does it not matter? Every DM always says they wish they were a player. Occasionally you have players that uh, always wish that they are DMs and us as DMs just look at them like, yeah, you don't know the misery we go through. <laughs> yeah, I don't, like, I'm barely a player nowadays. Like, I sometimes show up to Rob's game or uh, Gino's game. Uh, but honestly, um, I do enjoy running games when I get something out of it. You know, it's like it's that whole like give and take of it. I love creating the story. It's one of my favorite parts. It's the reason why I GM. And, you know, it's that I love imparting the story. It's not a control thing. I could care less what happens. I, I let the dice figure it out. But it's that love of making a story with other people. And I prefer that over playing. But sometimes, every once in a while, it's fun to play. I, I've made a couple characters recently where I'm like, wow, I like that rogue who uh, in Rob's game I, I made. You I'm, kept stabbing I, another player. I, I stabbed one other player because... Three times! But she annoyed me, okay? Oh, man, people annoy you in real life. That doesn't mean you okay. go around stabbing okay. them. But there's a lot he has to been caught. Hold on a second. One, everyone in the group agreed with me that it was the right thing to do. But, no! Uh, yes, it was. As everyone gave you looks oh, of horror. It the right thing to do. I got it. <laughs> I mean, not to get too far into it, it's just, there was a lot to, uh, there's a lot to that story, okay? We just, but anyway, I, but even my other characters, I have three characters in Rob's game because uh, I work and I can't always show up to them, so every time I come in, I, I forget my character sheets. Make a new one. Because I'm a old school paper and pencil person, <laughs> so, uh, so I make a new one, so I have three characters. I, I like the last one I made, the Warlock, was actually a lot of fun. Should I just keep your character sheets no, in my... No, no. No, because then I'll just then I can make another character. <laughs> you can keep introducing my characters. Eventually, I'm gonna have to tell you no. Yeah, that's pretty much right. That's probably right. But no, it's like I think being a player has its benefits. For I think for GMs, like we need to have at least one game we can play in mm -hmm. because that gives us that time to unwind. Because it can get pressure valve. Yeah, it's, it it can get real stressful having to prepare something every week and making sure it's engaging and fun for everybody, and it's got to be fun for us too. So I know, I mean, I think you guys can agree with that, with the with the whole, you know, we need a break sometimes. And game, being able to play in an engage, another engaging game is what's fun for us, you know, so. Our DMs run a long time here. Yeah. Like Robertson running, we just figured out almost four years. Yeah. Only four? Yeah. <laughs> I think Gina's been running about five or six years. So when you're a player as opposed to a DM, do you find yourself going easier on the DM or you're taking No, of course not. It really depends upon the DM. Uh, as a player, though, uh, I like to watch what the DM does. Yeah. Maybe I could learn something from them, whether steal not to their do it story or ideas. steal their ideas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I've also learned as a player that I need to share that spotlight. And so the DM always making that effort, I'm like, hey, you know, Chris, what can you do for this? Can your character do something in regards to this and share that? And I, I think that's one of the the tools that uh, DMs turn into players could bring with them is to help out. But you know, I'm also not going to be that DM player 
that says, oh, I've run this story. I'm just going to ruin this for everybody else and do that. No, um, definitely uh, I'll play normal uh, because it's their world. We're playing in it, and it's collaborative, but it's their rules, their setting, and I, I would rather be a part of it than yeah. ruin it. So uh, do any of you have any social medias you like to give out, a Twitter handle, a YouTube channel, a Twitch channel, anything like that? Um, I know, uh, so I'm also a commissioned painter, so, um, my, uh, what is it, my, uh, Instagram is, a, a Table Goblin, and, uh, but my YouTube, I have a Table Goblin Commissions is my, uh, commission page, so, uh, if anyone wants to check that out and, uh, you know, see what I'm painting and, uh, you know, hit me up, hit me, uh, give me a like, that'd be nice. Uh, Robert? Honestly, if anyone ever needs to get hold of me, just... Uh, add yourself to the fan quest page because uh, yeah. you get a whole, you post anything on there I see it almost right away Jamar nothing I'm totally <laughs> blanketed out but they can they can meet you at the at the public library on there you go. Tuesdays okay uh, six to brother eight. is watching you <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to get a hold of Geek Elite Media it's at Geek Elite Media on Twitter at Geek Elite Media on Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Media Network. But until next time, this is Hey Mitch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to Geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Ben, why should anybody listen to Blockbuster Mentality? I mean, seriously, why should any of these people that we've interrupted while they're listening to their favorite podcast check us out or even turn off this show and go straight to our show? That's a great question, Dave. People should listen to us because we point out the most important details of movies and television. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the really important stuff like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru in Star Wars. What exactly are their living quarters underground? But it's not just that, Ben. We produce high quality audio that is exactly right Dave because we will have my daughter interrupt us on every single episode <laughs> and we have an amazing stars in popcorn rating system we measure on quality and entertainment value listen to blockbuster mentality every Monday on all major podcast platforms and connect with us on Twitter at blockbustercast so grab some popcorn grab some snacks we'll catch you guys at the movies <laughs>